It's a tall, tall tale. In fact, the tallest of them all. But that doesn't mean it isn't true. Its message is contained in an ancient Mediterranean language that almost no one reads anymore. But that doesn't mean it's not important. Only a handful of people have ever seen it with their own eyes. It is perhaps the rarest thing in the most powerful city in the world. And that's why we should pay attention. There's a secret watcher over the capital of the United States. And it's more potent and more powerful than any Russian satellite or any microphone buried in a plaque in the cloakrooms of the State Department. Far above the fray and the counterfray of decades of debacles and denials and venal politicians and wars and rumors of wars and red ink spilled and real blood spilled, there has been a silent witness to all the greatness and all the tragedy that have marked this nation's history. It witnessed 100,000 soldiers returning from the carnage of the First World War, marching in strict, victorious procession down Pennsylvania Avenue. It looked down on a shocked and outraged nation on December 8, 1941, as a shaken Franklin Roosevelt denounced the day of infamy at Pearl Harbor that had occurred 24 hours before. The soaring rhetoric of Martin Luther King Jr. from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial occurred just 1,400 yards away. And three months later, it was witness to that riderless horse that symbolized this nation's utter grief as the funeral cortege of John F. Kennedy wound its way to the U.S. Capitol. One mile away, the Watergate burglary occurred. Less than a mile away, the cover-up in the Oval Office ultimately brought down a president. It has seen a hundred a thousand, maybe 10,000 rallies and concerts. It has seen million man marches where evangelicals spread themselves on the ground to pray. It has seen the blissed out devotees of the Beach Boys baking in hot July sun. It has seen freezing Catholic teenagers climbing off the buses every January in their annual protest of the Supreme Court's decision allowing abortion. A massive crowd of, of jubilant and almost unbelieving people gathered at its base when Barack Obama was first inaugurated in 2009. And yes, a somewhat smaller crowd repeated the spectacle when Donald Trump took the oath of office just this last January. I still remember the morning on the ride to work when the newscaster on WTOP alerted us that the repairman working on the Washington Monument had rediscovered the remarkable words written on the aluminum apex at the top of the world's most recognized obelisk. 
In addition to the names of the dignitaries and the engineers who had built what was the world's tallest structure in 1884, the news report that morning described two Latin words inscribed on the east face of the highest man-made structure in Washington, D.C. Laus Deo. Laus Deo. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. It was a moment when cultural and Christian conservatives rejoiced, for in their view, America has wandered far from the Christian nation they have insisted it always was. Here was proof that at least for once, their predecessors got it right. It was a moment when the secularists among us took note of how difficult it is to cleanse a society of religious expression when a great majority of people describe themselves as persons of faith. And then there's the inscription itself. Two Latin words, seven letters, and a world of meaning. On the east face of the highest point in Washington, D.C., where the early morning light first strikes the nation's capital, in the same direction where prophecy tells us that Jesus will one day come in a cloud about the size of a man's hand, there are these words, Laus Deo, praise be to God. At the end of it all, when we've done our finest, We've accomplished our greatest and we've achieved our best and we've built our tallest. We find ourselves compelled to say something not about us, but about God. It seems, my friends, that there is some great unwritten rule of the universe to which human pride and vanity ultimately have to surrender. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us but to your name give glory, the psalmist wrote 3,000 years ago. Laus Deo, 10 million saints have whispered through the centuries. Praise be to God, we say, when, when we've done our best. Soli Deo Gloria, we sing, for the glory of God alone. It's no exaggeration to say that of the five Sole, with which history summarized the major principles of the Protestant Reformation, the one we're looking at this morning is the least known and the least used, perhaps because it seems to require a standard of excellence that so few of us achieve. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Somewhere back in elementary school, we learned what sola scriptura meant. If there was anything about which Protestants and Seventh-day Adventists have been fiercely protective, it's the necessity of believing in the Word of God, the Bible, and the Bible alone. Perhaps in some high school religion class or some civics class where we spent the obligatory afternoon surveying the Protestant Reformation of 500 years ago, we learned we grasped what sola fide meant. 
that according to the Apostle Paul and as echoed by Martin Luther and other reformers, salvation is by faith alone, sole fide, without the works of law, without the necessity of penance, without indulgences and prayers for the dead and the intercession of the saints, sola fide. And salvation by faith finds its corollary in the mirror, mirror principle of sola gratia. Salvation is by grace alone through faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. My good intentions count for nothing. My sacrifices and my treasure count for nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to the poor and give my body to be burned, if I have not the love and sacrifice of Jesus, I am nothing. Last Sabbath, we heard from Leah Jordash, a masterful articulation of the Reformation principle of solus Christus, Christ alone. We bring nothing to the salvation wrought by Jesus Christ. We dare not make our faith an expression of a Jesus and my effort, Jesus and my giving, Jesus and my vegan diet. Solus Christus, Christ alone. That's the watchword of everyone who truly believes in sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia. In the words sung by Natalie Grant, which many of you know, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest droughts and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled and striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here, in the love of Christ, I stand. But now we come upon the fifth and the last of these great Latin phrases which have come to stand for the message of the Protestant Reformation of 500 years ago. And let's candidly admit that this last phrase is probably the hardest for us to say because it's the hardest for us to live. You may remind me, as Mark Willey did in our music notes this morning, that the great titans of church music, geniuses like Johann Sebastian Bach and George Friedrich Handel, they each inscribed their greatest works with the initials SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. And when I listen, when I listen to the heavenly music they compose, when I lose myself in a Bach chorale, or I stand there with tears streaming down my face as I sing the hallelujah chorus, I think they achieved their goal. They did it for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. In the sound score of my dream of heaven, there is this recurring biblical phrase that Handel brought to, to glorious expression. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign, how long? Forever and forever and forever. Soli Deo Gloria. But I'm not made of such fine stuff, my friends. 
And maybe neither are you. Even on my best days, I, I dare not sign my editorials and articles SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. I know myself too well. You know yourself too well. We are exquisitely aware that even on our finest days, even when we aspire to do something greater than ourselves, our, our motivations are, are hopelessly entangled with our pride and our vanity. The 17th century poet John Donne once complained, I am a little world of elements and an angelic sprite. But black sin hath betrayed to endless night my world's both parts and, oh, both parts must die. How dare I say that the words of my editorial or, or the words of this sermon are written for the glory of God alone? How dare I not admit that the clever phrase was written to make you smile and maybe like me more? Or that the survey of American history with which this sermon began is partially intended to persuade you that I'm a good scholar from a great school and a prestigious university. It seems unwise. It seems unholy. It seems somehow bordering on the edge of blasphemous for any of us whose names aren't Bach and Handel to assert that we don't have any mixed motivations. We do everything solely Dea Gloria. It seems somehow untrue that what we speak or write or preach is only intended for the glory of God? As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3.23 and as Martin Luther keenly reminded us, all have sinned and fall short, terribly, dramatically short of the glory of God. 140 years ago, at just about the time the Washington Monument was being completed, a great religious poet named Gerard Manley Hopkins captured the dilemma between God's glory and our earthiness. He did it in a poem that I have kept in the sanctuary of my memory for 40 years. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not reckon his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and bears man's smell. The disparity, the, the utter incomparability between the glory and grandeur of God and even our finest expressions, it's always on display. I want my life, you want your life to testify soli deo gloria, but more often than not, and more often than not, the truth about our best and our finest and our highest and our greatest isn't soli deo gloria, but something like interdom enum gloriam dei, sometimes for the glory of God. <laughs> sometimes for the glory of God.
There's only one human being who has ever consistently and fully and completely and repeatedly acted for the glory of God alone. There's only one son of man who has ever lived in such a way that every word he spoke, every prayer he offered, every act he performed, and every sacrifice he made was truly soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. Of him the prophet Daniel writes in chapter 7 of his prophecy, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall never be destroyed. Of him the prophet Isaiah wrote, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Of him, the apostle John wrote in the preface to his gospel, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And of him, the apostle Paul wrote in words that ring down through 20 centuries of time, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. My friends, there is only one who has ever lived who could say with complete truthfulness, that he lived soli deo gloria, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The men and women to whom Paul wrote these words about Jesus lived in the city of Colossae in 60 AD. They lived lives remarkably like our own. They lived in a small city near Laodicea, about 100 miles north of Ephesus in present-day Turkey. If you want to, you can focus on the fact that they wore different clothing and they, they had different hairstyles than we have in suburban 21st century America. If you want, you can note that they walked or rode horses when they went from place to place and instead of counting the horsepower under the hood. You can, if you want, observe that their world was dominated by the old paganism that saw God in every tree, every flower, every star, and every mountain. 
And I would tell you that our world is dominated by the new paganism that sees a God in every mountain of cash, a God in every flowering of a stock, a God in every tree of commercial influence, and a God of any, in every star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. for all the cosmetic differences between their world and ours. The men and women of the Church of Colossae, they lived lives remarkably like ours. They worked at trades and professions. They wanted their children to get the best education. They wrestled with fears about what tomorrow might hold. They prayed every night before they went to sleep that everything would go well in the home, in the market, in the shop, in the field. They looked for certainty just like we look for certainty in a world that always seems combustible, a world that's always poised more for war than for peace. They worried that the things to which they had given their lives, their city, their jobs, their families, their homes, those things might fall apart or, or be swept away by great forces beyond their control. The men and women to whom Paul wrote in Colossae lived lives much like our own. They lost jobs. They grieved loved ones. They watched children walk away from the Lord. They saw morals and standards collapsing around them in their culture with a speed that made them fear for the world their children and their grandchildren would inherit. And it was to them, to these common, ordinary, workaday, stressed out Christians of Colossae who are so much like us. It was to them the Apostle Paul wrote these triumphant words about Jesus that ring down through the corridors of time. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's the glory of the gospel, my friends, that in Jesus, all things hold together. It's the finest thing imaginable that in the midst of my mediocrity and your mixed intentions and my half-baked holiness and your inconsistent faith, there is one who never wavers, one who never quavers, one who never ever gives up, and one who always lives. He is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Soli, Deo, Gloria. It's the glory of God that we can call the Son of Man our Savior. It's the genius of the gospel that he who knew no sin has become our great sin-bearer. It's to the glory of God alone that we, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's the triumph of his power in my life that brings my life out of its natural mediocrity and insufficiency and lets me help do some value in the world. It's an anthem to his power that lets you close your eyes in sleep each night, knowing that he holds everything, 
Everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be securely in his hands. A hundred years ago, the Irish poet William Butler Yeats complained, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. But I tell you because the word of God tells you that in Jesus Christ, the center holds. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Soli Deo Gloria. When you lose your job and the bills get bigger and the bank account gets smaller, he holds all things together. When you lose your way and you fall on your face, and the circle around you are sad or disappointed or even angry with you, he holds all things together. When your spouse walks away or your kids walk away and the relationships on which you've spent your life seemed like they're destined for a little pile of nothing, Christ, the center, still remains. In him, all things hold together. When your fears mount up and the anxiety clutches at your throat and you wonder if you've got the strength or the stamina to make it through another day, in him, all things hold together. When you wonder where the country is headed or where the market is headed or if you'll have enough to make it to retirement or through ever how many days you have left, you remember that in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. In Jesus all things hold together. In Jesus all things find their answer. In Jesus we have seen his glory. The glory is of the Father's only Son full of grace and truth, full of joy and light, full of majesty and power, full of all those things for which our hearts yearn to share. That's the reason my friends. That's why we can give glory to God through him, through the one who has lived among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the reason we can quietly inscribe our, our hymns and our poems and our editorials and our sculptures and our spreadsheets and our reports and our welding and our housework with those initials that speak not of us or our excellence, but speak only of the excellence of Jesus. S-D-G, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us but to your name give glory. This is the prayer we whisper. This is the chanted line we sing. This is the chorus of every Christian who has come to know both his own sinfulness and the amazing grace and excellence of Jesus. This is the line that, that rises from our hearts when the organ and the choirs make us stand with tears on Sabbath morning and push our lives forward to that day when we will fall at the feet of Jesus and say with every nerve and fiber of our being, not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ 
in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Do not count me in the equation. Do not mention me at all. Let every word I say or think or write be forgotten if only this can be remembered. Jesus is all. Jesus is all-compassionate. Jesus is all-sufficient. Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is all-forgiving. And yes, he is all-embracing. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God.